Thanks, Lucy. Uh, let's pray. Lord, as we consider your word, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, and that you would challenge us, and you would reveal afresh your love for us. Amen. Okay, can we have the um, screen on, please? Oh, great, thank you. Um, so we're continuing our series on giving, Think about be, uh, being generous in response to uh, a generous God. So um, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, you'll have heard us uh, talk about giving in different ways. So some of you might be feeling a little bit of giving fatigue. Uh, for others of you, this might be your first visitor here to St. Giles, you're a visitor. We don't talk about this all the time, but we do talk about it some of the time, okay. So if you've got a bit of giving fatigue, I thought I'd have a little um, encouraging story at the start to encourage us. Oh, come on. No, not going to work. Okay, I'll tell, I'll tell you the story about the PowerPoint. Two men were shipwrecked on an island. When they landed ashore, one of them began screaming. Uh, we're doomed. We're doomed. We're going to die. This is it. This is it. It's over. The other one was just calm and he was relaxed. He was perfectly fine. The first one looked around and there was no water, there was no food, there was just, uh, just one solitary palm tree. He said, we're doomed. We're going to die. Second guy, he's just really, really chilled out. First guy says, why are you so relaxed? What's the matter with you? No one knows where we are. No one's going to come and find us. Uh, we're doomed. Second guy says, well, you don't understand I'm a very wealthy man. I earn over £100,000 a week. We'll be fine. First guy says, well, that's, that's no good. There's no food to buy. There's no water to get. We can't, we can't use the money to hire a boat and get away. We're, we're doomed. Some guy says, no, you don't understand. I'm a, I'm a Christian. Um, I tithe to my church. I give 10% of my £100,000 to my church every single week. Wherever we are, my vicar will find me. <laughs> we've been thinking about giving. And we've, over the last uh, two weeks, reflected on different reasons why we might give. Uh, we give because we want to play our part. Had our archdeacon here, she talks about the part that uh, St. Giles plays in the, in the diocese, how our giving uh, supports ministry in different places. Uh, we give too because as a member of our church, we want to play our part in supporting the life and the ministry of this church. We give because we want to support the mission and ministry of St. Giles. On our bulletins before you, you have our, our vision statement, what we're about as a church that we are a community of disciples in West Bridgeford seeking to witness to Jesus and serve him here and beyond. And our giving enables us to do that. Uh, it enables that ministry to happen. So we give because we want to play our part. We give because we want to support the vision and ministry of this church. But what I think about uh, today is a deeper reason for giving, a deeper motivation for giving. 
We're going to go back to that reading uh, that Lucy had for us. It takes place in the home of Simon the Pharisee. There's a real emphasis in this story upon uh, Simon being a Pharisee. I don't know if you notice it, but four times in the first three verses, uh, Luke tells us that we are in the home of a Pharisee. Jesus went to the home of a Pharisee. A Pharisee prepared a meal for him. While they're in the home of the Pharisee, this happened. In fact, we only find out his name is Simon when Jesus refers to him by name. The Pharisees were significant in Jesus' day. They were significant in Jewish society. They were, they were the cultural leaders. They were the religious leaders. They uh, shaped the community life. They were the guardians of Jewish faith and identity. Some of Jesus' most harshest words were reserved for the Pharisees. But interestingly, too, many of the early Christians came from the Pharisaical party. Paul, before he was an apostle of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a church planter, was Saul, the Pharisee. These were serious men. These were men who took their faith seriously, and they wanted to know who Jesus was. A little bit earlier in our chapter, in um, uh, uh, verse 16, Uh, We read that a crowd has gathered after Jesus has performed a miracle. And the cry goes up, a great prophet is in our midst. And the Pharisees want to know, is he a prophet? Is he really a prophet? If he is a prophet, then they they have to shape up. They have to follow him. They have to listen to him. They have to uh, take his teaching on board. If he's not a prophet, then he's leading people astray, and he needs to be opposed, and he needs to be defeated. And they're still trying to work out who Jesus is. And so Simon invites Jesus into his home, and it's, I think, with the intention of finding out a little bit more about who this man is, what his teaching is about. Is he a prophet, or is he not a prophet? There are other occasions where Jesus had these kind of conversations with the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We read that he came to him by night to find out more about who Jesus is. And so he invites Jesus in. He prepares a meal before him. The way that you would eat a kind of formal meal like this in Jesus' day would there be a a central table, there would be a low table, the food would be set out on that table, and then there'd be couches around the table, and uh, people, guests, would recline on the couch, so they would lay down, and they would eat eat, eat the food as they kind of laid down, reclined at table. And a visitor appears at the door, and she slips in to the meal. Not particularly unusual in the culture of the day. It was an open society. There would be open doors. People knew each other's business. People knew what would be going on. If you you, uh, prepared a meal, a bit of a a banquet, a bit of a celebration, it was not unusual for, for people just to wander in and join in the party. But it's unusual for this kind of visitor to arrive unannounced. She slips in the back. She begins to weep. She's probably stood behind the couch that Jesus is reclining on. Her her tears fall down and drip upon his feet. Embarrassed, she dries his feet with her hair. 
She's carrying uh, an alabaster jar. Probably the culture of the day, uh, women would have like a, a cord or a chain around their neck. They would have a, a small jar of perfume uh, attached to that cord. It would be very expensive. They would carry it around with them. That was their way of uh, carrying their wealth around. She, she uncorks the bottle and she pours some perfume out on Jesus' feet and the aroma fills the room. It's unusual for this kind of woman to invite herself into this kind of party. Luke tells us that she has lived a sinful life. There's a bit of biblical euphemism going on there. We would call her a prostitute. This is a small town. Simon would be well known People would know where the Pharisees lived. He is a man of note. Jesus is well known. He's been traveling around teaching, performing miracles. They would know that there was a a meal going on in uh, Simon's house. The woman would be well known as well, but for altogether different reasons. This account is taken from Luke's Gospel. On another occasion, Jesus would be anointed by a woman at a meal. Uh, That woman was Mary, uh, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. On that occasion, it took place in Bethany. Uh, It took place just days before Jesus was to die. Sometimes these two accounts are confused or merged together, but they're actually distinct and very different. This is a story of three people. Simon, the Pharisee, the sinful woman whose name we never know, and Jesus, a saviour. Simon is not too impressed at what is going on. And so Jesus says to him, let me tell you something. And he tells him a story, a story of two debtors, two men who owe uh, sums of money. One owes 50 denarii, the other owes 500 denarii. Uh, a denarii was a day's wages. So one, one owes kind of a, a year and a half amount of wages, the other owes a kind of month and a half of wages. They both have no hope of repaying this debt. And so the person they owe their debt to, he, he forgives them their debt, he, he writes it off. And so... Jesus says, so who do you think is most grateful for what has happened? Which debtor is forgiven the most? And I love Simon's act. Simon is a clever man. Okay, You don't get to be what he's doing with, with being thick. He's a clever man. And he says, 500 denarii, 50 denarii. Well, um, I suppose... The one who's owed 500 denarii. He knows what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus asks a question. And like all of Jesus' questions, it is a brilliant question. Simon, he says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? This woman, whose name we do not know, was one of those people who is seen and yet unseen. 
Everybody sees them, but nobody sees them. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house as your guest, but there was no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears. I came into your house as a guest, but there was no kiss of greeting, no warm embrace of welcome for me from you. But she's not stopped kissing my feet. I reclined at your table. I shared your food. I enjoyed your hospitality. But there's no oil, no anointing of my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Simon, I came into your house. And you invited me in. But you didn't wash my feet. You didn't greet me. You didn't embrace me. You didn't treat me like an honoured guest. But this woman, this woman has done all of this for me. Her many sins have been forgiven. For she has loved me much. And then he says to her, go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Imagine you're in this town. Imagine you're walking down the street and Sally Poon comes up to you. Have you seen what's happening? Have you heard what's happening? It's all kicking off at Simon's house. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Go and have a look. Go and have a look. You're down to Simon's house. You're looking through the window. You've got some idea of what's going out. And this woman comes bustling out. You see that her perfume has gone. It's all been poured out. You see that she's been crying. You've heard that she's, she's giving everything to Jesus. She's knelt at his feet. She's washed her feet. She's poured her perfume. She's done all of this for Jesus. She's been forgiven all of her sins. Her faith has saved her. And you say, why did you do it? Why did you do it? What will she say? Because I want to play my part as one of his disciples. I think it's what I should do. I want to support the vision and ministry of Jesus Christ as he wanders around the hour. I want to do my bit to enable his ministry to take place. I love him. I love him. How could I not do this? I love him. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. She said, you can give without love, but you can't love without giving. You can give without love, but you can't love without giving. This woman has seen the love of Jesus in action. She's seen Jesus raise from death to life the son of the widow of Nain. Luke tells us that Jesus' heart went out to her when he saw her crying. 
She's heard of Jesus healing uh, the paralytic, the paralyzed man who was low through the roof of the house. Jesus said to that man, your sins are forgiven. And then he healed him. And she thought, I need my sins forgiving and I need healing. She's seen Jesus cleanse the leper. We're told that Jesus had compassion and he reached out and touched him and he was healed. And she thought, I need cleansing. I need healing. I need to go from death to life. I need to go from sin to forgiveness. I need to go from uh, being uh, dirty and ashamed to being cleansed and forgiven. I need that. Then she hears there's a party going on in Simon's house and she can't help herself and she bursts in and she's overcome by emotion and she weeps at Jesus' feet. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So what is love? So what is love? 1 John 4 verse 10. This is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a sacrifice for us. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? It's a very Westbridgeford question. It's a very Westbridgeford question. Ooh, Oh, they've bought a house. They've bought a house on Highfield Road. Oh, phone out, Zoopla, Highfield Road, Highfield Road. Oh, oh, I think it was that one. I think it was that one. How can they afford that? They can't afford that. How much are you worth? My old boss, I used to work in Channel 4, used to work in sales, uh, used to tell me all the time, it's only worth what someone will pay for it. We used to have to sell um, airtime. We would have a list price. This is how much uh, this advert is worth. And we would, we would try and uh, sell it. Sometimes the pressure was on. We had to make the sale. My boss would say, it's only as worth as much as someone will pay for it. If you can get more than the list price, brilliant. If you have to drop down below the list price, that's okay. It's worth what someone will pay for it. How much are you worth? You're worth what someone will give for you. Before I came to St. Giles, most of you I think I know, I, I was in the Philippines, I was a missionary in the Philippines, I was in Cebu, which is the, the central area of the Philippines. Philippines is a majority Catholic country. The area where I lived was kind of 90% uh, Catholic. The area down in the south is a big uh, um, uh, island um, in the south called Mindanao. That was 90% uh, Muslim. And there was a radical... Uh, jihadist insurgency going on. Basically, uh, Al-Qaeda of the, of the time uh, was at war with the, with the Philippine uh, government in a, in a war of independence. So trying to, trying to um, uh, establish uh, a caliphate uh, in that particular area. And the church that I pastored, or partly pastored, in Cebu, many of the people who were members of that church were people who'd come from that area, from Mindanao. So they were refugees who just escaped the persecution there. And so they'd come up uh, to the north. But from time to time, I would need to visit Mindanao. 
and I would need to meet up with some of the clergy there who'd still stayed in that area. And some of them lived in a really dangerous area where the insurgency was in full uh, flow. Yet still they were relatively safe because they were very poor and the terrorists weren't really interested in the, in the poor people. But Westerners, they were very interested in. So from time to time, I would fly down to Mindanao, and I would visit some of the pastors. And uh, where I would fly into, it was so dangerous that we, we would, you would fly into a military base. So I'd fly into a, a military um, airport, and uh, I would sit in the waiting room, and I'd be waiting for a, a driver to come who would come and take me to a, like a, a house where I would then meet with some of the other pastors. And um, where, as I was sat in the waiting room, there was posters on the wall uh, with KFR. And KFR stood for Kidnap for Ransom. And there'd be little photos of people who'd been kidnapped and how much the ransom had been asked for each of those people. And I would think, I hope my photo doesn't go on there. And then I think, if it does, I'm screwed. Because <laughs> I work for a missionary organization, and I know they have no money at all. How much are you worth? How much would someone give for you? Jesus said, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost and give his life as a ransom for many. And give his life as a ransom. How much are you worth? You're worth what someone will give for you. And our Heavenly Father gives his only Son to ransom us. Why did this woman give? love. She gives because she loves. Why does our Heavenly Father give? For God so loved, he gave his son. And that wasn't an automatic thing. That wasn't a case of the Father just saying go and Jesus just doing it. The Son willingly embraces the cross, the son willingly offers himself up for a ransom. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane is all about. That's what the prayer in the garden is all about. Lord, if you, if you could take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but your will. The son offers himself up in exchange. The son gives himself as a ransom. We give... Yes, to support the mission of the church. Thank you for that. I, I join in that too. Without your giving, we wouldn't be able to do that. We give because we, we play our part. Thank you for giving for that too. But as Christians, our motivation in all things, in everything we do, is that we do it because we love. And we do it because we know that we are loved. Jesus told this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had and bought it. 
I read today is the story of Jesus and a Pharisee. And the Pharisee is called Simon. And there is another Simon in the Gospels. This Simon is a fisherman. This Simon is a follower of Jesus. This Simon messes up and wanders off from Jesus and then uh, comes back. The death of Jesus is followed by the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a, there's a reunion on a seashore. And Jesus asks this Simon a question three times. Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? The question the Lord asks each of us is not how much do you give? It's do you love me? Let's bow our heads in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl of great price. And, Lord, I pray that for all of us, we would have a greater appreciation of your love for us and that we would live our lives in response to your love for us. And Lord, help us to see our giving not as an obligation, not just as a duty, not just as playing our part, but as an act of worship and a response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.